It's Father's Day today. How many dads are in the room? Let me see a show of hands. Man, give them a round of applause real quick, all of our dads. So it's gonna be a little bit different as you can tell this morning. I've got some friends joining me here on stage this morning. Uh, But here's what I know is Father's Day is a day of celebration for most of us. But I also know this, that Father's Day can also be very, very tough for some of you. Either it's a reminder of the dad that you never had or or it's a reminder uh, of the child that you've lost. And so here's what I want you to know. Man, I, I just want you to know that we love you, that we are praying for you, and that we are here for you, and we love each and every one of you, and we want you to have an incredible day. So today, I want to encourage and challenge the men in the room. Ladies, we got to do this with you a few weeks ago for Mother's Day, and so we're going to do it for the dads and the men in the room today. This morning, we're going to look at God's Word, and then we're going to have some real conversations up here on stage, and we're going to talk about these things that we're hearing this morning and about how we can apply these things to our lives. And so guys, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a problem when it doesn't take a genius to walk, to look at our culture and look at our world and see all the things that are going on and realize things have gone terribly wrong. Let me just give you a few statistics real quick. And these, are, again, are just skimming the surface. These are not all of the problems, but just listen to these, if you will. See, in America, roughly 70% of all inmates come from fatherless homes. of all rapists come from fatherless homes. Homes with no father present in them produce 71% of high school dropouts. And check this out, 63% of teenage suicides come from homes with no father. As you can see, we have a problem. And let me just tell you this morning, it's not a government problem. It's not an education problem. What the problem is, is a manhood problem. We have men that are not being the men that they were called and created to be. You see, when, when men fail to lead the way that God has called them and designed them to lead, our families, our churches, and our society suffers as a whole. But here's the good news for you if you're listening this morning online or if you're here with us today. There is good news. The good news is this, that when men act like men, godly men, everyone flourishes. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the worship that we have already experienced. God, thank you for the men in this room. Thank you for the men that are watching online. God, I thank you for the men of new beginnings. God, I pray today as we open up your word that you would speak to us, that your spirit would stir in our hearts, God, that you would convict us, that you would call us out, and that you would help us to be the people of God that you have called and created us to be. And everybody said... Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, do me a favor. Go ahead and open it up to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16 to be exact. We're going to be looking at verses six, uh, 13 through 14. While you're making your way there, let me, um, let me just try to set the stage for you with this book of Corinthians that we're going to be looking at. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the people, to the church that was in Corinth. 
The city of Corinth, let me just try to, to, to describe it to you in as few of words as possible, and hopefully you'll understand this. The city of Corinth was like Las Vegas on steroids. You see what I'm saying there? The, Corinth was um, just worldly. It, it was full of vices, if you will. And so Paul goes there, he spends 18 months there, and while he's there, he plants the church in Corinth. It wasn't long after Paul left Corinth that the culture began to seep into the church, and there began to be all these problems in the church. And so Paul catches wind of these things, and that's why he penned these words that we're looking at today. That's why he wrote this letter to the church Paul wrote this letter to give them clear instructions on how to be the church, how to operate, how to handle these situations within the church. As he wraps up this letter in 16, he, he remembers a few more things that are really, really important. We've all done this, right, guys? I mean, we've all been, uh, had our wives do this, I'm sure, if your wives are like mine. Like, as you get ready to pull out of the driveway, she runs out and stops you and says, hey, wait, hold on a minute. Before you leave, let me remind you of a couple of things. I know you know, but I don't want you to forget. Or parents in the room, when your child is in the driveway and they're getting ready to go off to college, you run out there and you, you give them the bullet point list of the things that are really important that you don't want them to forget as they drive off and go on their way to college. And you say, hey, don't speed slow down, wear your seatbelt, make sure that you obey the law and do all the things that you're supposed to do. Any college students in the room agree with that? Mom and dad, every time you leave, they remind you of the most important things. And this is exactly what Paul's doing at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16. He's saying, hey, I know I've told you all these things, but before I wrap this up, let me tell you something that's really, really important. And so this is what he says. You'll see it in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. And I want you guys to read it with me. It'll be on the screens. It says this. It says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. These are, there are four truths that we see here today that we need to see, but not just see. We need to apply them if you will, to our lives. First thing right out of the gate that Paul says is what? He says, be watchful. In other words, hey, watch out. You see, this would have been a very familiar image to the people in Corinth. Most cities back then had walls around them with watchtowers on those walls. And in those watchtowers would have been watchmen. The watchman had a very specific job. His single purpose was this, to stand guard and watch out. Not real hard. Stand here and watch out. Watch out for the enemy that wants to attack. If a watchman fell asleep on the job, it usually resulted in his death. And I know you may be, may be thinking, man, that sounds kind of harsh, right, Patrick? Like, if you just doze off a little bit, you're, you're gonna lose your life. Why? Because if the watchman fell asleep, or if he got distracted, then the entire city would be vulnerable to the attacks from the enemy. Make no mistake about it, New Beginnings. Make no mistake about it, men. We have an enemy. 
John 10 tells us very clearly, there is an enemy and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything that's important to God. 1 Peter 5, 8 says it this way. It says, be sober-minded or be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I don't know about you. I've never had to go about my day, Pastor Todd, and look for lions when I leave the house and go to work. I've never had to watch out for a lion, but I have had to watch out for something else. My wife, Lauren, is from Florida, and so we go to Florida every summer, and we spend some time there on the beach. In fact, we were just there last week, Zeke, and we go to this place called Volusia County. Volusia County is South Daytona, and here's what Volusia County is known for. You ready for this? Shark bite capital of the world. And I know you're thinking, you've lost your mind. I'm not getting in that water. Y'all have watched too many Jaws movies, right? So here's what I've seen every summer that I've been there. I can be waist deep in the water out by the sandbar and in the swell of the waves, I will see a shark swim by. Uh, Last summer, I was out on a paddleboard, Rusty, and the shark that came swimming by me was longer than my 11 foot board. And I went, let me get on back to shore because I got to hurry this up. I don't, I don't want to be anybody's lunch today. So here's what, here's what I do when we go to the beach. Pastor Todd, I don't sit back in my chair and allow my boys to go out into the shark infested waters and leave it up to the lifeguard half a mile down the beach to watch out for my boys. I don't sit back in my, in my beach chair, Zeke, and let my wife go out into the water and watch out for my boys. You know what I do? I walk out into the waters, waist deep on the sandbar, and I keep both of my boys close by, and I watch out. I watch for anything that might want to cause them harm. I watch out for anything that might want to hurt them. And this is what God has called us to be as the men of God, to be the watchman for our families, to be the watchman for our church. Make no mistake, there is an enemy and he is real. Men, if you knew that there was an enemy prowling around in your neighborhood, would you not watch out, Rusty? You would, you would turn the lights on outside. You would set the alarm. You would lock the doors. You would walk out every few minutes and look out the window to make sure that your family and your home was safe. You would be the watchman that God has called you to be in that situation, wouldn't you? That is what God has called us to be. Make no mistake, this enemy is real, and he usually does one of two things. Uh, I want us to be aware of the way that he works. He's crafty. He's been at this game a long, long time. If you're taking notes, you could write these things down. Here's the first thing that he does. He either distracts us with busyness to get our eyes off of the things that we should be watching out for. He gets us looking over here so that he can come in the back door and wreak havoc and destroy our families and our lives. I can't tell you, church, how many times over the years of being a pastor that I'll have a man walk into my office and sit down for counseling and it will go something like this. Man, I never saw it coming. I never knew that this was gonna happen. If I'd only known, I would have been more aware. I'd have been more alert. I would have done something about it. It's because he was so distracted chasing all these other things that the enemy snuck in the back door and and began to destroy his life and destroy his family. The other thing that the enemy does is this, if you're taking notes, is that he, I think this may even be more um, crafty. He convinces us that there is no threat. He makes us think that there is no war, there is no battle, there is no enemy. So you just go about your business, let your guard down, go and do whatever you wanna do. 
And so you, you don't armor up, you don't watch out, and he comes and he destroys while you've left your post. You see, part of what it means to be a man is to be that watchman on the wall for your family, for your church, for your community. So men, if you're taking notes, be watchful. The next thing Paul says is stand firm in the faith. Paul uses another, some more military language here, guys. He says, hold your ground, stand firm. Don't be misled, don't be deceived. Don't be uh, swept away by all of these things. You see, the church in Corinth was under attack. False teachers, false prophets, pagan beliefs were trying to work their way in and infiltrate the church. And so Paul says this, he says, stand firm. Now stand firm, not in your own strength, not in your own talent, not in your own abilities. Don't stand firm in your own giftedness and in your own intelligence. He says, no, 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 stand firm in the faith, right? If I'm gonna stand firm on something, I need to know that the thing I'm standing on is solid, right? I need to know that it's solid. I need to know that it's firm. I need to know that it can hold me up. And so when Paul says, you guys need to stand firm in the faith, he's wanting to remind them that, listen, the same faith that saved you is the same faith that's gonna hold you up. It's the same faith that's gonna sustain you when the enemy attacks. It is able to hold you up no matter what. This faith is not just in something. This faith is not in just some new religion. No, no, no. This faith is in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the one that came and lived the perfect life that you could never live. He's the one that bled and died on the cross for you. And he is the one that three days later walked out of the grave, defeating sin, death, and the grave all at once for each and every one of us. So he is more than able to hold you up. He is the rock of our salvation. He is firm and he is solid. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 40. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. This is what God has done for each and every one of us through his son, Jesus. He rescued us out of the depths of our sin and he placed our feet firmly upon the rock of Jesus that is our salvation. And so Paul wants them to know your faith is in Christ alone. He is your rock and you need to stand firm in him. The next thing that Paul says, he says, hey guys, I need you to do this. I need you to act like men and be strong. Now I know when I say those words, act like men and be strong, a lot of your minds immediately go to like some of your childhood heroes like uh, Thor or Iron Man or Batman or Captain America or the Incredible Hulk, which is one of mine. And you think, man, or maybe it goes to like Arnold Schwarzenegger, or some guys with big pecs and big biceps or strongman competition. This is not what Paul is saying here in this moment. We need to understand what he is and is not saying. Paul is not saying, hey, men, I need you to be macho and be aggressive and pound your chest and act like a man. You see, Paul had already been dealing with those type of men in Corinth. Arrogant, prideful, domineering and self 
seeking. Remember what I said at the beginning that Corinth was like Las Vegas on steroids. Corinth was very promiscuous. It had a reputation worldwide for being a place of debauchery. In fact, it had gained such a reputation for this that Aristophanes coined the verb Corinthiazo. This word meant to act like a Corinthian and to commit fornication. So when someone would call you a Corinthian or Corinthiazo, that's what they were saying about you. Oh, you're from that place. You must be all about the stuff that they're doing over there in Vegas or over there in Corinth, right? And so Paul, when Paul says, act like men, he's saying, don't act like a Corinthian, act like a man, grow up, be mature. It's not about being macho, it's about being mature in Christ. It's about being a man, a mature man. And so Paul goes on and he, 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 he explains to them what this means and what this looks like. He's saying, grow up in your faith. In fact, in Corinthians chapter 13, he says it like this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I even reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's saying, don't act like these Corinthians behaving like immature little boys. The mission of the gospel requires you to grow up and act like men. This call to be strong isn't a call to just pick yourselves up by your bootstraps and try harder. No, this call to be strong is a call to be strong in the Lord. The tr to trust the grace of Jesus. To get back up when you get knocked down. Listen, men of New Beginnings, listen to me. If you want to demonstrate what true strength looks like for your family, if you wanna show them what it looks like to be a man, to act like a man and to be strong, then it's not convincing them that you never struggle. It's not putting up this front, this facade and acting as if you're strong and that you've got all this handled on your own. It's letting them see what you do when you fail. Don't miss that. It's humbling yourself, admitting when you're wrong. Let them see what their dad does when he messes up. I've heard it said over and over again, Zeke, that the measure of a man is not how many times he gets knocked down, but how many times he gets back up. So men, if you're out there today and you have fallen and you have failed and you have blown it and you have messed up, listen, don't stay down. Get back up, dust yourself off and run to Jesus. His grace is enough. Let, let your children, like I, here's what I do. I try to let my boys know, listen, your daddy struggles with sin just like you do. Your daddy struggles with obedience just like you do. So most of the time when I'm correcting my children and I get through telling them to go sit in timeout, when I walk away, God says, yeah, why don't you go sit in timeout too? Because we're, we're dealing with some of those same obedience problems over here. So your children, your wives, they need to see 
what it's like when you struggle. My wife needs to know, man, I'm, I'm struggling here. My faith is weak. I'm having a hard time believing the promises of God in this situation. She needs to see that vulnerability and that transparency where I'm just honest with her and I don't pretend to have it all together and have it all figured out. We're in this thing together. That's what my family needs to see. True strength is found in humility and serving. So men, let your families, let your wife, let your children see you serve and true strength is this, it is knowing that his grace is sufficient, that in your weaknesses, he is strong. So let them see you leaning on Jesus, running to Jesus in every situation saying, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to handle this. I can't overcome this. I am weak, but you are strong and you are more than enough for me. You're strong enough and you're able to carry all of my burdens. You took it all for me. You paid the price for all of this on the cross, and so I'm giving it to you. That's what our families need to see. That's the type of strength that they need to see in us. So men, be mature, grow up, and be strong in the Lord. The last thing that Paul says as he wraps this verse up, and he gives us, he gives us the means by which we can do all of these things that we've already talked about. He says, let all that you do be done in love. Let's say that again. Let all that you do be done in love. So how can we be watchful? How can we stand firm in the faith? How can we be strong? The answer is love. Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. In other words, love is the hub and all of these other things are the spokes around it. Love is the motivator. Love is the fuel. Love is the driving force that drives us, that compels us, that helps us fulfill and do all of these things that we've talked about. Listen, New Beginnings, manhood is not defined by the sports you like, by the hobbies that you choose, or even by the clothes that you wear. I mean, David was a poet musician. He was a warrior and he was a man after God's own heart. I grew up in the oil patch of West Texas where we went cow tipping and rode pump jacks and I played football and none of those things make me a man. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But Paul says, this is what defines biblical manhood. It is love. First Corinthians 13, 13, Paul says this. So now faith, hope, and love abide, but these three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Why would Paul say that? Why is love the greatest of these? It's because nothing, let me say this again, nothing demonstrates the power of the gospel as clearly as love. John 3, 16 is the most popular passage in the world. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's not that we love God first, but that he loved us and he sent his one and only son to be that propitiation, that payment for our penalty, for our sin, so that we could be saved and be restored into right relationship with the Father. Amen. That's what love is. 
You see, it's the love of God that sent his son to save us. It's the love of God that transforms us from the inside out. It's the love of God that empowers us through the Holy Spirit to love others in return and then to act like men. Let me, let me wrap this up real quick. And if you didn't get anything else I said up to this point, don't miss this. It's too important. Men, you cannot stand up and act like a man until you have bent your knee and surrendered your life to Jesus. You will never be the man that God has called you to be and created you to be. You'll never be able to lead your family, your church, and your community until you have bent your knee and surrendered your life to Jesus and repented of your sins and asked him to give you, give you his Holy Spirit that he would empower you to live the life that he's calling you to live. Amen. You see, it's only when our lives are surrendered to Jesus that we have what it takes to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith, to act like men, and to let everything we do be done in love. I'm gonna ask Pastor Todd to come up here and I'm gonna sit down and let him ask us some questions and let's just apply some of these things and hear from some of these guys on how they do these things in their lives. Y'all give Pastor Todd a warm welcome. And what a great, great challenge today. Daniel, thank you so much. Uh, I love um, not only just the challenge for men, but I also love the tone uh, in which Daniel's addressing this because um, I know for Mother's Day, a lot of times we come in and it's like all sweet and mothers, you're the greatest and we're gonna send you out uh, on our shoulders and then guys come in here and we're like, get it together and we kick you in the shin and then send you out, right? <laughs> Um, but, um, but I'm thankful for that. And, and did you say you guys rode pump jacks in West oh, Texas? Yeah, y'all yeah, don't know nothing about riding them pump jacks. Yeah, he said, he said you played football, rode pump <laughs> it, jacks. It, there's and, not a lot of action there. And he said, there's nothing wrong with that. I looked at Patrick, I'm like, I do think there's something wrong with riding pump jacks. I, there's maybe a law against that, I'm not sure. Listen, uh, what we wanted to do um, is kind of talk just practically in a conversation about what does this look like? So it's one thing for our men to here, this is what God's word says it, 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 it's supposed to be like. And then it's another thing to hear a group of men who are struggling just like every other man trying to become that. And that's what we wanted to do today. So I've got some friends up here. We've got Zeke Listenby, who's one of our executive pastors here. Uh, Rusty Robinette, who is an elder. Um, Daniel is uh, one of our executive pastors. And then uh, Patrick Briscoe, uh, who is an orthodontist in our community uh, and a leader in our church and just a gift uh, to us, a good friend of mine. And and just kind of give a kind of a, a, a conversation about what this uh, looks like because it, it really it, it doesn't come easy. Standing firm, being the man that God's called us to be, uh, takes intentionality. And, and Rusty, uh, one of the things that I know f f from your life, and we've known each other for now ten years, and you uh, you've been very intentional about being that watchman and, and being a man that stands firm in the faith. But one of the things I know that's important to you is having men speak into the lives of other men. I know you've had through the years uh, men who just pour into you, um, but you've also been that for other men. So why is this so important for men to have that type of relationships? Yeah, Pastor, so I, I was very fortunate to have a father and then a father-in-law who both you know, poured into me. Um, and then when, as I started my career, having just men in my life who um, love Christ first and then love me and would speak into my life. Uh, it's, it's very important for, to help you grow as a man, but then you, know, you, you never know the, what's, you know, 
I guess, the outcomes of that um, until specific instances happen. I mean, I think about, um, you know, when, when my father passed away. Within hours of my father passing away, the two men that were probably my greatest mentors in my life, they show up in my mom's house, and they're in, they're in her living room, and they're uh, ministering to me, you know, and I had to drive quite a ways to do that. Um, or then I think about, um, you know, the, the young men that I was mentoring. I was, as, at the time, I was a teacher and a coach, and I was mentoring a couple of um, high school students. And um, as soon as I show up at school, school hadn't even started yet, and these two young men come and check on me as well. And so, you know, you pour into people, uh, and you think that you're making a difference, but then you turn around and see them apply that to, to you. And it was really cool to have those two young men come and show up and and uh, uh, just come to minister to me. And so um, I, I would advise just uh, young men, um, men of all ages and, and teenage boys, to have, have, have men in your life that uh, love Christ first and then love you and that will speak life into you. That's good. That, that intentionality of, of allowing, you know, it's not easy for us to hear some of the tough things that we need to hear as men uh, that will help us grow. Um, but it takes that intentionality and openness to, to want that, and really, you know, that, that requires a desire, you know, to want to be a man that stands from the faith. And I know, Patrick, you and I had a lot of conversations about your journey, um, and, and this is something you take very seriously, of, of, of standing firm in the faith. So what are some of the things that you've done um, intentionally uh, to become that type of man? Yeah, so the word intentional, I think, is really important there. And uh, within the culture of a family, there is going to be a culture that develops, and if you want it to be a culture centered around Christ, you have to be intentional about it, okay? So I've been a Christian now for 20 years, and throughout those 20 years, there's have certainly been rhythms, we've been talking about rhythms, that have been very meaningful, whether that's what we call tog time, which is time alone with God, uh, prayer, service, going on mission. But I'll tell you something that's been really important over the last couple of years, and that's relationships. Um, and that kind of harkens back to what my dad taught uh, myself and my brothers when we were growing up that you are the average of the top five people you hang out with. Mm. Um, so That's if good. you want to be a good dad, you want to try to identify some other good dads and then go be around them. Mm -hmm. um, and over the last 20 years, where I have found that is in life groups. Uh, life groups have always been important uh, to us. And um, I actually heard a rumor that life groups might be coming back here soon. Uh -huh. um, so uh, but you, you do need to be really intentional about seeking out those people that um, you find are high morals, high ethical characters, good dads, good leaders of their families, and search after those people. That's good. That's good. That intentionality of relationship and, and putting in it. And we, we talk about this to our kids of as you, know, you are the company yep. you keep, and we try to instill in, in, in them of, of choosing wisely. But as parents, we never outgrow that. It takes that, that intentionality. And, and, you know, and, and Zeke, this, this kind, of, kind of swings over into fatherhood and into understanding that as men being spiritual leaders of our home who want to grow spiritually, um, you, you know, you take this very serious in your home of seeing that you foster in the hearts of your kids uh, this, this firm in the faith, this helping them grow as spiritual uh, giants and leaders. Talk about that and why it's so important and how you do that. Yeah, we try to make sure that we, we teach our kids that faith is just not some ornament that you put on a shelf somewhere to show people when they come in the room. It's a part of our lives. You know, I can't tell you that, you know, um, 
the fear, unfortunately, in my heart when God said, go to a land that I will show you, like he told Abraham, you know, pretty much. And I said what any other Bible-believing Christian would say, uh, no, um, I don't want to go. And so, and God was like, it's now or never. And you either, you have two choices, be disobedient or not. I mean, excuse me, be obedient or be disobedient. And so we had to show our kids, not in just what we say, but believing that God was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. He was going to show, take us to a land that he would show us. So we had to pray and we had to believe every day. So we sat around the table and we were talking about um, how excited we were, what God was going to do and where he was going to take us and what he was going to do in our lives. I thought it's completely useless for my kids to come to church and to learn how to do church very well, like I did, and not know how to live it out in any area of their life. You know, I am, I've been playing in church since I was in fourth grade. I've been doing, playing keyboard and doing this whole thing in church and playing hymns and doing choirs and doing that whole thing since I was in fourth grade. I learned how to do church very well. And there's probably some people here in this room that you've learned how to do church very well. I mean, you know how to do life groups and you know how to show up and you know how to bring your Bible and you know how to be quiet when you're in here, probably a little too quiet, but you learn how to, to, how to do all these different things. And you know what scared me? is um, I thought about this in between the last service. I went and I was um, like the liaison worship pastor at a prison. And I got a chance to work with the guys there. They were in the prison. And these people were super talented. I mean, the praise team that I had there was just absolutely phenomenal. And when I talked to all them, I'm like, man, how did you learn how to sing like that? How did you learn how to do all that? He was like, oh, I learned all that in church. And I'm like, wow, Mm. you did church your entire life. You did church very well because I can see your talent, but you're in here doing 25 to life. What's the use of coming to church if my kids are not going to learn how to use their faith and what to do with their faith and, and how to take it from, you know, faith to faith and glory to glory? Like, what are they supposed to do? So we're very intentional about being open about what we do with the faith that we have. You know, the same faith that saved us is the same faith that will sustain us. That's good. And we've got to, we have to use our faith. So I want my kids to know that practically, as we said, and intentionally, like Patrick said earlier. Well, and, and here's the thing. Um, Zeke, I love what you talked about there is because you're, you're taking real life, like just y'all's moving and talking about where, where is Jesus in this and what does it look like for us to be obedient? You're not leaving them in the dark and going, hey, we're doing this. You're, you're bringing them along on the spiritual journey, uh, not just the, the life journey. You don't separate the two in your home. And, that's, and I think that's important. You know, Deuteronomy tells us to talk about these things when we walk along the road, when we lie down, when we rise up, that discipleship isn't just having Tuesday night Bible study. That's right. It's about having dinner table conversation about what's happening in our family and, and where they fit into that. And when God um, does what only God can do in our lives, we celebrate that. You know, we teach our kids to say thank you, right, when someone gives them something. So when we were praying God to send us into our new land and where we were supposed to go and even coming to new beginnings, what God was going to do, when God showed us and we did it and we were obedient, we celebrated as a family. Not just like, oh, thank you, but like, God, you did this. We put that back on him. We prayed and you gave us faith and you gave us grace and you gave us favor and you did it. And so I want my kids to know that it's not something that mom and dad did. God did this. Yeah. Man, that's good. That's good. You know, and, and we talk about that, that, 
father passing on the faith to the son. And, and I know, Daniel, your, your upbringing is you're kind of a first-generation Christian in your home. Uh, so you didn't grow up with that godly man that you preached about. Um, and so now you have two sons. Um, why is this now so important to you that your kids are able to have maybe what you didn't have? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I could sit around and, and be woe is me and feel sorry for myself all day long. But uh, when I look at my boys, I'm thinking, man, if I don't, who will? If I don't show them the way and point them to Jesus and, and be the, the, God has given me that great responsibility, me and my wife, Lauren, to be the number one discipler of our boys. We have incredible children's ministry and student ministry, and those are all amazing, and those are all great tools in our belt to, to, be, to, to be able to, to help us. But it's our responsibility as the parents, the mom and the dad, to be that number one discipler of our children. So I want my boys, like I said a while ago, to see that their dad doesn't get it right all the time. I get it probably wrong more than I get it right. But man, when I fall, I fall forward and I get back up and I keep running after Jesus and I keep pointing them to him, just like Pastor Zeke said, and going, man, God is doing this. God did this. The only reason I'm still here and still standing is because of who Jesus is and what he has done for me. And so I want my boys to know that. I want them to see that. And I don't just want it to be a Sunday thing. Yeah. I want it to be an everyday thing. Since they were as little as they could be, when, when they started understanding, uh, we would be at the beach, and I would say, and we would talk about the waves, and I would say, man, where do you think those waves come from? Who made those waves? And, and Brock, at, at two or three years old, would say, God did. And I'd say, just last week, Colton asked me a question while we were at the beach, and he said, man, what makes those waves? And I said, a better question is, who makes those waves? Mm. Jesus makes those, and then he tells them where to stop. Because they can't good. come any further. And I said, he holds all power over all things. And so we've got to use every moment and every opportunity, whether we're on vacation or whether we're sitting in here on a Sunday morning, to use it as an opportunity to leverage it, to preach about God's goodness to our kids and to point it out and show them. Man, that's good. And I, what I love about this, for guys maybe they are in the room or watching, who you go, man, I don't have a, a heritage. I don't have a father to look back. I don't have a family, or, you know, grandparents in my life who pointed me that direction. So many men just use that for an excuse not to be. And so you're just going to perpetuate that to another generation. I love the fact that Daniel understands that it's not about my past. It's about my kid's future. And therefore, whatever I was lacking as a man, now I want to make sure I become that and give that away to my children. So I, I love that. And Zeke, I'm going to hit on something you, you said a moment ago. You, you have a different upbringing than Daniel. Yours is the complete opposite. You grew up in church learning how to do church and how to play the game. And I know that most of us in here, if you've had that background, you know what we're talking about here. Um, so what was it for you to make that shift where it was no longer the game, to where you really wanted to become the man that you pretended to be? Um, but then also, why is it important now that your faith is real at home, just like it is at church? Well, like I said, learning how to do the whole church thing. Um, when I was 23... You know, I got tired of people going, oh, we just love the service. Oh, we love to hear you play. We love to hear you do all this stuff. And I, I felt so empty inside. You know, I had a 13-year-long um, pornography addiction, and I was playing well in church. I knew how to do all of this stuff, and I got sick of it. It was wearing me out, like I, hiding and doing all the shame that goes along with that. And I, I got tired of it. So in August of 2003, you know, with this same Bible that I have here, I sat down and I said, God, you're going to have to do something. 
and, you know, I hadn't really even cracked open my Bible ever before, but I had been playing in church. Like I said, I knew how to do church really well. And I cracked open the Bible and it said, and God took me to Romans eight when it says our flesh is hostile toward God, meaning it fights anything that's godly. And I was like, I've been trying to be good this entire time and I've been failing. And I'm like, God, I need you. Mm. You're the only one that's good. And, you know, I didn't have all the, um, the right phrases and all that stuff like that. But that's when I grab a hold to faith at that point in time. And I use the faith that I have. So with my kids, I teach them, you don't have to have a world amount of faith. Just use the faith what you have and trust in God and believe him and listen to him and listen to, you know, wise counsel around you. But grabbing hold to faith early in small portions and letting it grow, letting it grow, letting it grow. So, again, there may be someone in here is like, I don't I don't have this big faith I don't, to do all these things, you know, with my, you know, my, my kids. Take what you have. And just use that and grow and grow. And God will put godly people around you, as Rusty said earlier, to help that faith grow and to grow and to grow. So That's good. That is, that's strong. And, and I think that's the type of um, intentionality that we need of, of recognizing that um, it's not about necessarily um, helping my kids grab a hold of this monster, you know, spiritual giants at their age, but seeing God work in my life, growing in maturity, coming as as a follower in in my own walk with Christ and then passing that on to them. And I would say also, just echo some of you maybe here today and you you can understand the play in the game and the the life of defeat and and recognize maybe today what, what you were lacking is Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. So my prayer would be is if you heard Zeke's story, know that if that's where you are, um, the, the same way Jesus grabbed a hold of his heart um, back in 2003, he can do the same um, for you. So, Rusty, talking about being a father and being a man, uh, you've got kids all over the age spectrum. You've got a grad student, a sophomore in college, and then a soon-to-be sixth grader. Um, and so you are all over the map. So talking about this whole idea of, of, of being a strong man, of being you know, that, that bold, brave, courageous watchman, but also being that tender, loving, compassionate man. We oftentimes are really good at one and, and not the other. So talk about the balance in your life you found. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, you know, first of all, just knowing your kids and knowing their, their giftingness. I mean, I, each one of my children have just uh, different strengths. And so um, just love and celebrate those. Um, as, as, I, as I parent them, um, it kind of informs me how to parent and, and be uh, strong for them. One of the things that I've learned throughout the years, and, and like you said, it's been quite a few years. I've got a few years left to go, is that um, uh, the, the thing that I just want to grow more in is with my patience, with my, with my kids. Um, and, I, and I'll tell you that there's probably times when my oldest that, that I really blew it. I mean, it's like, well, I wasn't very patient at that one, and so I'm learning and I'm growing. Um, and then uh, now I've known that I've become more patient with some of my, with my kids and, and uh that helps me um, grow and be strong um, with them. And, I, and I, I think about also all throughout the Bible, and I think about when Jesus was patient. Um, he was patient so many times with his disciples, with the people around him, um, and he just, he just uh, served them with love. Um, and so I think that's kind of the biggest thing is that just to be patient with them. That's good. That's good. And finding that balance is, is difficult. Um, and so, it, but it takes intentional spiritual leadership. And we talked a lot about intentionality. And that's a big thing for you. Um, 
and giving that spiritual leadership, step, stepping into that role. And so for you, Patrick, I want to talk to you about the, um, the priorities you've set. You, you've really kind of said, I want to be the spiritual leader. But part of that is being committed to a community of faith and living on mission. So talk to us about why that's so important to you. So spiritual leadership is wildly important. And to put it bluntly, it's because we don't know how much time we have left. Um, so there's a sense of urgency that we should live with um, to be spiritual leaders uh, in our family. Um, and I'm unique in the sense that I kind of have a cool testimony with my oldest daughter. Uh, she was born three months premature. And um, when she was born, her heart rate was zero. And a heart rate of zero is defined as dead. And we saw a Lord make a raise a child from a physical death to life. And I want to see that same resurrection spiritually uh, in my kids. Mm. Um, so um, that is such a, an important part uh, and it's been ingrained in us. And I think there's a great set of scriptures in Romans that, that speaks to that calling that as men we should have. Uh, and it's out of Romans 10. And um, the first verse, it starts out, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think um, we want that for our kids. We want them to call on the name of the Lord. Going on, how then can, and I'm going to substitute my kids for the word they, how then can my kids call on the one they have not believed in? And how can my kids believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can my kids hear without someone preaching to them? And how then can my kids preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As men, we are the feet in our family to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to our kids. Um, and uh, if you really want to do that and get outside of your comfort zone, go on mission. That's good. And uh, we hopefully are taking our family back to Rwanda uh, in the spring of 2021, and we're praying hard that the borders open and. Um, and we have that uh, opportunity, but that's just one challenge, to be those feet, to step outside of the comfort zone, um, to get your kids involved in church, to go on mission uh, and show them what the real world is all about. And that is really good. I love that. I love the way you've used that, that Romans passage. We've read it probably a dozen times, uh, but to really think about the fact that the Great Commission starts at my house, that God has entrusted to me the greatest mission field that I could ever serve on. And if I'm not faithful there, I'm not going to be faithful anywhere else. That's, that's strong. And you know, Daniel, you, you mentioned in your sermon um, this idea of walking in love, of letting everything we do be motivated by love. Um, I think men struggle with that. I think love has kind of been hijacked in a way, and, and we've kind of, um, in, in some ways, have kind of given that to say, okay, well, moms are kind of the tender, the soft, the loving, the caring, the nurture, and, and love really isn't that. Um, so why is it that you believe men struggle with this, um, and why is it important for men to walk in that even an emotional side of, of authentic love. Man, I, I think, Pastor, that it's what you said, that it's, that it's just such a rare thing for us to see. And so we, we haven't seen other men live that way. We haven't seen it modeled for us. And so we're, we're, we're kind of, we may have grown up with the, the, some of our dads saying, hey, suck it up, you know, boys don't cry, you know, or rub some dirt on it, get up, you know, don't show emotion. And so we, we kind of grew up with these these things being taught to us, and, and not even, you know, intentionally on purpose, but it was just part of their way they were maybe brought up. 
And so we haven't seen what it looks like to be a true biblical man, but to be strong and to walk in love, that balance that you mm -hmm. talked about with, with Rusty. And so what we need to, to try to instill within our children, our boys, or, or the other men around us in our lives that we're mentoring or being mentored by is that, you no, know, Jesus is our greatest example. And man, he showed love and he was strong and he led in every way. And so one of the greatest examples we see is that it says no greater love has this than a man that laid down his life for a friend. And so, man, it's sacrificial. It is, it is tough. It is strong. It is willing to, to take a punch. It is willing to do whatever it takes to protect those that you love and to, to step out and lead them. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that's the thing is that we, we're recapturing this, this idea of love is not a, and I use this word, a feminine word. It's a, it's, it's a masculine word. There's a, there's a, a sacrificial side, a, a, a toughness that's demanded to truly love with, 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 um, with a fierceness. Mm -hmm. But there's also that tenderness. I, I'll, I'll tell you this as, as just a guy, um, the stories that I hear often as a pastor from the number of men and women who would love for nothing more than to hear the words from their father, I love you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to feel that tenderness. And, and I really feel like men, we are not um, living well as men. And we're not parenting well as fathers if there is not a, a, a warmth about us, a, a, a wrapping the arms around, of looking in the eye and being able to say, I love you mm -hmm. uh, and I'm proud of you, that type of, of, of manhood is absent in most families. Yeah. And for those of you who say, well, I never got that from my dad. I don't know how to get it. I would say find some men, let them speak into that and show you how to do it because you're robbing one of the greatest gifts you could ever give your kids, and that is just for them to know, not by your deed, but by your words, that you love them and that you're proud of them and you care for them. Mm -hmm. um, guys, I just want to kind of wrap up with, with this thought here. Uh, two, two thoughts. And Rusty, I'm going to throw this first one at you. To the lady that's here today, maybe, and you know, for whatever reason, the husband's not engaged, father's not engaged, the, the, the man in her life you know, is not, not there and she's discouraged because she wants this. How would you encourage her to encourage him? You know, Pastor, a few years ago, I was on a, a visit. I was visiting a family that was struggling. Um, and uh, as, as the conversation went on in the room, uh, the wife had, had left the room to go, I think, get some snacks or something. And our conversation with the gentleman turned into the gospel. I started sharing the gospel with him. Um, and long story short, led him to Christ. And the really cool thing was when the, when the wife came back in the room, and by the way, her mother was there too. When they came back into the room, they're in tears, uh, and they, they just confessed to me and her husband that they had been praying for him for several months now. And um, the coolest thing about that was that when she said that, and the mother was there too, and the mother said that, that he looked at him and he said, I knew you were. And so um, just a praying wife who will just continue to pray for their husband's salvation um, and this could go for the, the wife who's struggling to have that or even the wife who has a strong husband who's leading well. But they need you to pray for them uh, constantly. That's good. There's, there's nothing like the power of a praying wife uh, lifting up um, uh, her husband. Listen, all right, so 20 seconds or less. You get, you get 20 seconds. I want you, and our, our wives crushed it when they were here for Mother's Day, or the ladies that were up here. Um, so let's see if you guys can do it as well. So for the man who says, okay, I want that. I don't know where to start. 
What's the starting block for my life of becoming this godly man? 20 seconds or less, go. Today is a new day. And you've heard the song, burn the ships, cut the cord, turn the tide, step into a new day. If you've been walking the opposite direction, today is the day that you can turn around and start leading your family. That's good. I've never heard that song before. Um, <laughs> that was my first song. Like, That's good. Um, <laughs> but I like that. <laughs> it was really cool. So my, my, my thought would be um, be purposeful and don't feel the need to be perfect. People are waiting around for stuff to be perfect. Just be purposeful. You know, I was taught as a kid, like even when I, you know, I played piano, my dad said, play it like you mean it. Don't be up there just like if you're just going to halfway do it. I have to do life the same way as a father. I can't halfway do it. Either I'm going to do it on purpose or I need to go find something else to do. So I've chosen to be um, purposeful with it. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, as Daniel said earlier, but I'm willing to have some godly people around me to help me keep going, but just be purposeful without need, feeling the need to be perfect. That's good. I would, I would say it's a process. I mean, um, you know, you're not going to become, you know, this great leader, this great spiritual leader in your home right off the bat. If you're looking, you know, as a man to start this, you got to start somewhere. It starts with, you know, the person of Christ. And so you need to kneel your knee, like Dan, Pastor Daniel said, kneel your knee to Christ. Um, and then don't have the expectation that I'm going to be this super Christian, but that the process, I'm going to be become stronger and grow in Christ, and he'll, he'll make me more like him. That's good. Yeah, I think of the word humility. I think that we need to humble ourselves, humble ourselves before the Lord and ask Him to, to help us to be all that He's made, created us to be. I can tell you, before I met Jesus, I was the most prideful, arrogant person and thought I could do everything on my own. And God humbled me, and I had to just look to Him and say, God, I am broken and hopeless, and I need You. And so wherever you are, I would just say, even if you are following Jesus, that we have to walk each and every day in humility. We have to be willing to bend our knee and humble ourselves before the Lord and say, God, I blew it yesterday, but man, I need you to help me today to be better and to be the man that you've called me to be. Man, that's good. That's good. Hey, you guys, give these guys a hand and thank them for the wisdom today. And um, I want to take an opportunity... And just pray for our men as we come to a conclusion today. And I just want to ask you to bow your heads if you would. If you're watching online uh, or you're in this room and you're uncertain about your relationship with Jesus, whether you are a, a man, a woman, boy, or girl, I want you to know that everything starts with Jesus. If you've never trusted in him, know that he loves you. He died for your sins. He resurrected so that you can be saved. And everything in life that brings hope starts and ends with Jesus. And so today, if that's you, you can, wherever you are, call on the name of the Lord, confess your sin, believe that he died and resurrected, repent and be saved today. And those for you, uh, men in the room and online, I want to pray that you would walk today. As Patrick said, start today walking in these truths, striving to become this man, taking the, the, the things that you've heard and, and putting them into practice starting today. Father, we love you and we thank you for the men that are in this room, not just the fathers, but the men and then even the boys who are striving to become men. 
Father, for those who are watching online, I pray that you would allow them today to be inspired, encouraged, recognizing that there is a perfect Father and it is God the Father. And Father, you have also sent the perfect man and the greatest role model, and his name is Jesus. And God, what we need is not just to, in our own strength, try to earn the Father's love or to try to become like Jesus, but rather through your supernatural power, know that we are loved by the Father and allow Jesus to come and live inside of us, letting him be the one that lives this manhood out for us. Father, we thank you that we have everything we need in Jesus, and I pray for every man that we would walk in this. We thank you, and we love you, and we praise you for them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, let's put our hands together and thank our dads, fathers, and men one more time.